The New Age Christianity Podcast is brought to you by... Hello, New Age Christian family. This is Austin Fletcher. You are listening to the New Age Christian Podcast, and this is episode number 31. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about Israel. You know, any discussion inside of Christianity at some point needs to come around to the subject of Israel and Judaism. Why? Well, I don't know if you know this, but did you know Christ was a Jew? (laughs) So, if you want to understand Christ and you want to understand Christianity and you want to understand New Age Christianity, then you absolutely have to understand ancient Israel. But here's the question. Ancient Israel and modern Israel, are they the same thing? Are they supposed to be the same thing? What happened when Jesus came? What happened when non-Jews were entered into this covenant that God had with Israel? And what does it mean for us today? I'm hoping to unpack some of the nuance and some of the, what I believe to be the obvious realities of the shift in how everything works, and hopefully you'll enjoy it. Let's do this. All right, so... Oh my gosh, I don't know if you've ever seen The Ringer, but uh, that's one of my favorite lines in that movie. There's a part, oh my gosh, there's a part where one of the characters just kind of interrupts an awkward moment out of nowhere and goes, did you know Christ was a Jew? (laughs) So yeah, Christ was a Jew, and um, Christ was the Messiah, and Christ was the promise and Christ was all of these things. And if you've never asked what the heck all of those things mean, then I understand because uh, obviously modern day Christianity just kinds of kind of presents Christ in a Christian context. And a lot of churches don't even really go to the Old Testament and they don't spend a lot of time at all understanding, you know, simple things like, did you know the word Messiah is simply the Hebrew word for anointed one, right? And Christ is simply the Greek word for anointed one. And did you know that every priest and every king in Israel for a couple thousand years was anointed and they were called messiahs, right? Because they were a messiah. They were an anointed one. So a priest or a king was an anointed one. That was just what you called them. And then we have... Christ or Christians or anointed ones. So this is just one little insight into the things that we take for granted when, oh, we say Jesus is the Messiah. Well, what is that, right? Does every religion have this idea that they need a Messiah? What is this unique to Judaism? Is it, is, is it quote unquote, the right answer? So I'm not going to unpack everything. Clearly, that would be an entire ministry. Just thousands and thousands of things to uncover and discuss about who Jesus is and Israel and Judaism and all of the stuff around it. What I want to do today is honestly, I want to do my best to give an open, gentle, but blunt opinion that I believe just 
a lot of this community may need to know. You may be asking, what does New Age Christianity believe about Israel? What does New Age Christianity believe about modern day Israel in addition to, you know, ancient Israel? If you've listened to my episode on the Bible, it's one of the early episodes, maybe even number four or something like that, uh, you will know that I believe the Old Testament is absolutely very viable, very relevant for today, because I read it in a particular way known as typology or types and shadows, or a little bit more in modern English word, it would be an analogy. Now, the difference between an analogy and a typology, according to Austin Fletcher, if you look this up in the dictionary, I don't know if you're, what you're going to find, but an analogy is a story that is true or has hidden or deeper meaning inside of it, right? You could also call those a parable. But a typology is not just a story, it's actual historical truth. So to say that Beowulf is an analogy for fighting evil or whatever, you could say that. But if Beowulf was in fact a historical figure, you would then call it a typology, right? If King Arthur is an analogy, fine. If he was a real figure, then he is a typology. And I would say Israel is an analogy, but they were, are, but historically they were a real nation with a real temple and a real system. And that real system had deeper meaning to it. And to be honest, let's, most religious systems have that. If you understand the Toltec religion out of Mexico, Miguel Ruiz and the Four Agreements, uh, the city Teotihuacan in Mexico was built as an analogy. It was their temples and their systems were meant to tell deeper truths. If you go to you know symbols like the yin and the yang, it's meant to tell deeper truths. When you go to things like even our logo for New Age Christianity is the seed of life, it's meant to be a deeper truth about the seven days of creation. And all of those things are always telling you something more. And that is what Israel was for 2,000 years. And I'll skip to the end and for a second. I don't believe Israel still plays that role. I believe they completed that role, and I'll do my best to unpack that here. But it kind of always all goes back to Father Abraham, right? So there are three major religions in the world today go back to Abraham. Islam, Judaism, and Christianity all go back to one man named Abraham. Interestingly enough, <laughs> Judaism and Islam basically claim that their ancestors, so Judaism claims Isaac and Islam claims Ishmael, they both claim that their ancestry and their lineage is the ones of the promise. What's interesting is that God did make promises to both Ishmael and Isaac, but only one was a promise of faith that only one was a child given to Abraham's wife who was barren and he believed God. Okay, so now let's go to Genesis chapter 15 verse 5 where it says, this is the promise of God to Abraham, and he took him outside and said, now look towards the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Then he believed the Lord and he reckoned to it to him as righteousness. And then if you keep going, 
you will find multiple places in which God promises Abraham a son, and more importantly, he promises descendants, right? Um, if you go back into ancient times, the idea of having descendants was a big deal because that was how you ensured your livelihood. That's how you ensured that you could survive because they didn't have machines and tractors to do all the work, right? You couldn't just go to the grocery store. Your family had to do everything. So anyways, the point of this is at the very beginning, God sets the stage for what this promise is really about. He tells Abraham, go look at the stars and count them. And if you can count them, so your descendants will be. Now, if you've ever really thought about that, there's no way Abraham was able to count the stars. Numerically, I should say. But if you go into the Hebrew text, you'll find that the word that is used there is the same word that is used for uh, recounting as far as storytelling. It's the same word used as for scribe or to be a scribe, to write it down. And so God is not telling Abraham, hey, go look at the stars and start numbering them one through a trillion. He's saying, go look at the stars and tell me the story that you see. What? Yes, 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 yes. The nation of Israel is a story. And more importantly, the nation of Israel is the story of the stars that you see in the 12 constellations. I'm going to fast forward to the end in this statement. That is why you have the 12 tribes of Israel and you have the 12 constellations. And then as a matter of fact, if you know the real story of the tribes of Israel, and I'm not going to begin, I mean, we're going to do classes on this. There's going to be a series of classes on typology for those of you who love the Bible and want to dig deep into this stuff. There's the 12 tribes of Israel, but there's actually 14 tribes. Because when you count the 12 tribes, you don't count Levi typically, and you count Joseph's two sons. But if you actually look at the stars and you see the 12 governing lights, according to Genesis chapter 1, And you also realize that there's two other governing lights, the sun and the moon. So there's actually 14 governing lights in the sky. Two are unlike the other 12, just like there are 14 tribes of Israel. Two are unlike the other 12. Just like there are 12 stones on the breastplate of righteousness, and then there are two stones on the inside of the breastplate of righteousness. There's a little pocket known as the ephod. And those stones are white and black, just like the sun and the moon, so that there are 14 stones in the breastplate of righteousness, but two of them are unlike the other 12. So what you get here, if you're a Christian and you have studied some of this stuff, that may have just fried your brain. What I, all the things I just said about the 12s and the 14s and the stars and the sun and the moon and the Yermanthium and all that, you know, the breastplate of righteousness and all that stuff. Here's my point. From the beginning, when God called Abraham and said, hey, I'm going to make you a promise. From the very beginning, that promise was stated as a story. It was stated as, hey, go look at the story of the stars. And if you can tell me that story, I'm going to do it through you. Now, if you've never studied the story of the stars... Let me just give you a few nuggets 
and help you understand the lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus is called the lion of the tribe of Judah. You realize that that's a reference to the constellation of Leo. Okay. The idea of Jesus being born of a virgin is a reference to the constellation of Virgo, right? And if you've listened to my episode on Christmas, you get a lot more about the star of Bethlehem and Virgo and all of that stuff. So then you obviously have the age of Aries, which is the ram that was ushered in when Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac and then found a ram in the thicket. That And for 2,000 years, a covenant was built on the sacrificial system of a ram and then enters Jesus to enter in a new covenant of Pisces, which is the age of the fisherman. And he shall make you fishers of men. And now here we are, new age Christianity, and we're entering into the age of Aquarius, which is the man pouring out the vessel of water. So this ages, this story of the stars is all throughout scripture, is all throughout the Bible. And it's also, by the way, not just Christian. It is all throughout every culture. You know the ichthus symbol, the fish symbol that represents Christians? That's simply a reference to the symbol of Pisces. That's simply a reference to the last age, the age of Pisces. If you've never heard, this is the dawning of the age of the Aquarius. We're coming into a new age. Every 2,000 years or so, there's a new age according to the map that God placed in the stars, to the story that God tells in the stars. And so a really good question you might want to ask yourself is, what is that story overall? And I'll tell you, the overall story is the redemption of mankind. Ta-da! Simple. So... But from the very beginning, God is telling Abraham, hey, I'm going to make some promises to you. And guess what? These promises are going to directly correlate to this story. So the fact that Israel is a real nation and was a real nation, but that it was a story kind of blends a challenging thing together is with all these promises that were made and with all of these covenants that were made and all these rules that came out, What do you do when Jesus shows up on the scene and says, this age or this world is coming to an end? So about 2,000 years ago, Jesus in Jerusalem stands up in Matthew 24 and says, you see this temple, there's not going to be one stone left upon another. This generation will not pass away until this world comes to an end, so on and so forth. He basically predicts the end of the Jewish world. Now, modern day Christians, many of them predict that as someday in our future, the end of the planet is going to come. And if you've you know not heard my podcast before, just go listen to previous discussions on preterism. You can find stuff on our website. But preterism would tell you that the age of Israel being the story came to an end in 70 AD. And here's the thing, if you're putting two and two together, I am saying that modern day Israel, while God still loves them, and God loves them as much as they love, he loves anybody else, modern day Israel is no longer the quote unquote chosen people of God. That is what I believe. And 
here's the part that I'm going to attempt to not be overly harsh, but here's the part that kind of gets me going when it comes to the discussion. I don't know if you know, if you're not familiar with the Christian world, the modern Christian world, there are a lot of Christian movements trying to bring a fulfillment of Scripture by helping Israel over, you know, in the Middle East, right, modern-day Israel rebuild the temple and reinstitute a sacrifice system and bring back the red heifer and all this stuff because they think that for some reason, when Jesus came, he didn't finish that system. They think that for some reason, and there's a couple different versions of this. One version is that it's only Israel who needs that system revived because that's the covenant that Israel has with God. And then we all have a covenant with Jesus. So Israel has their own covenant with God, and then everyone else has a covenant with Jesus. So that's one version. That one kind of ebbs and flows because people realize, wait a minute, that kind of negates what Jesus did for everyone else. Anyway, so that one doesn't get a lot of traction for very long, but it does kind of rise up once in a while. Another version of this is that, no, Israel needs Jesus, but there's these natural promises that were made to Israel that still need to be fulfilled, which I would argue they were fulfilled under Solomon when his kingdom was what it was. And I would argue that those uh, fulfillments have happened and that his their land did stretch to the Euphrates and so on and so forth. But that's for another discussion. So they'd say, no, they still need Jesus, but Israel still needs all these promises that Abraham received of uh, in the natural. And then there's this kind of third camp that is not so much about Israel, but it's about the temple system and about the fulfillment of giving the Antichrist a place to sit. And (laughs) I'm not sure what this one is. And, And to be honest, all of them, to me, negate the fulfillment of what happened in 70 AD and, and the fulfillment of what happened on the cross. See, if you rebuild the temple, then you are rebuilding a system that Scripture very clearly shows was never designed to take away sin. If you sacrifice a red heifer to try to appease God, then you're going directly, in my opinion, against what Paul says about that there remains, when you go back under the law, there remains no more sacrifice for sin. That red heifer was never designed to change your nature anyways. Those sacrifices never fixed the nature of a man, and they only, in theory, forgave the actions of a man. But then Jesus comes along and says, (laughs) that's funny. You guys think that uh, you actually have to sleep with that woman in order to be a sinner. But in reality, all you got to do is think about it and you've sinned. So what is a sacrificial system going to do if it doesn't touch the innermost being? What on earth is it for? And it kind of, pardon my French, but it pisses me off that these people who love Jesus have been fooled into thinking that a system that kills bulls and goats is what God is still waiting for? Really? Like God still needs this old system so that Israel can have some land? I don't even get it, to be honest. I have an appreciation for 
who and what Israel has been historically deeper than most Christians I know because I understand what they were for 2,000 years. Guys, they were a picture that we can study that the temple, you know, the three layers of the temple representing the spirit, the soul, and the body, and then your I amness of the ark in the very middle and their journey from Egypt into the wilderness, into the promised land, representing born again, born of water, born of spirit. Their different captivities, you know, over time, you have their captivity in Egypt, which was one version. Then you have Babylon, which is another version. Then you had Rome, which is another version. For three versions of captivity, which I believe represent the three ages of humanity, starting with slavery to law. Then we had slavery to uh, a mixture, which is Babylon. And now we're coming into slavery to Rome, which we can unpack at another time in another class. So we still have 2,000 more years to go until we get where we need to be. But point being... Like, I look at everything Israel did in the Old Testament, and I see the value, and I appreciate, and I pull out of their story the fact that they are a story. But then that story pointed somewhere. That story pointed to an end where at the end of that age, you realize there's never been another temple. There's never been another sacrifice. There's never been another high priest. And by their own rules... They actually can't ever revive that system properly because one of the things you had to do was you had to prove that a priest was in the lineage of Levi. And in 70 AD, Rome burnt all the genealogies and they have no way to prove, even if they built the temple, built the furniture and got a high priest, they have no way to follow their own rules and rebuild or reinstitute a Jewish religion the way it was in the Old Testament because they don't have a high priest and they can't prove a high priest according to their own laws. So this desire to go back under the law so that why? Like fill in the blank. Why? You know, if you're a Christian who has kind of bought into this idea that is, we need to rebuild Israel, we need to, uh, by all means, support them. They're people. You know, I love China. I love Israel. I love Iran. I love Vietnam. Like, I love people just as much as God does. So support Israel. You know, they've got a lot of people who hate them. Anti-Semitism is a thing. So I think, you know, standing up for the little guy has some merit. I don't mind that the U.S. is allies with them. I'm not one of those that's, I don't know. I haven't studied the Palestinian thing. I haven't really... Because it all just seems so layered in a misunderstanding of the things I'm trying to convey here um, that I have no issue with supporting Israel. I have no issue with going to Jerusalem. And, you know, I have very, people that are very close to me that have been to Jerusalem and they've walked the city and they said it's really impactful. And to walk the streets that Jesus walked and all that, to go see the sites where the apostles were. And great. Perfect. Do it. But the point of Israel as a story reached its conclusion. Well done, Israel. I applaud you. You did your job. 70 AD, you finished your job. Since then, we're now in a new age and we've been in the age of Pisces. We've been in the age of the fishermen. And guess what? I also believe that the church that we've known has now reached a similar conclusion where it has done its job. 
and everything is going to change. Technology is going to change everything. The need for the senior pastor on the, at the front with the pulpit and the church on every street corner and all of that is going to change. And you're going to start seeing one world religion. You're going to start seeing one world government and everything like that. And guess what? I'm sorry to tell you, but I believe that is what the scripture means, that to the increase of his government, there will be no end. That the increase of his goodness, there will be no end. You realize that 2,000 years ago, there was a small group of people that, quote unquote, were the only ones that could be saved. And then along comes Jesus, and now everyone can be saved. But now you have to be a Christian. You have to accept him in order to be saved. And what I believe is coming is that the manifestation of the fact that everyone will receive the Holy Spirit, regardless of whether you sought after him or not, and that the goodness of God just gets bigger and better and freer. And we're coming into a whole nother world where even the idea of Christian or not, you know, saved or not, all that is going to become increasingly irrelevant because it's becoming obvious that God is in all of us. And that to me is a whole different look at New Age Christianity and what is coming. But back to Israel. In 70 AD, they finished their work. They finished their race as, not races in like the Jewish race, they finished their races in running the race. And they got to the finish line and they fulfilled their part in the plan of God. They told the story through their temple system, through their tribe system, through their story of everything, every detail. I genuinely believe every single detail in the Old Testament is meant to tell you a story of something deeper, a story of yourself, a story of humanity, a story of God, fill in the blank. Hence, there will be classes soon on typology that we will go over these stories. And I'm hoping to launch them as soon as possible. Life has been absolutely crazy. But hopefully that's coming up. Maybe by the time you hear this recording, we'll be having a uh, class already. So if Israel finished its story, then what is it that modern day Christians are still trying to get out of Israel? And I believe it comes from one overarching belief that we still live in a fallen world. Have you ever heard, you know, well, we live in a fallen world. And I want to ask you, really? Define fallen for me. Typically, most people would say a fallen world is subject to sin. A fallen world is subject to death. A fallen world is subject to Satan. A fallen world is subject to separation from God. Right, that's the quote-unquote fallen world. And I'm not even going to scratch the surface on each one of those. I've done episodes on sin. I've done episodes on Satan. You know, maybe I should do an episode on separation. We'll see. But that is the definition of a fallen world. Sin, death, hell, separation, Satan, all that stuff. Now, can I ask you, if you're a Christian, what was Jesus all about? Wasn't it the forgiveness of sin, the defeating of death, the defeating of Satan, and the restoration of connection? Like, didn't Jesus come to save the world? So, are we still fallen or are we saved? Do we have connection with the Father or do we still have separation? 
Are we still sinners or are we righteous? Is the devil still in control or has he been defeated? Is death still have its victory or do we have eternal life? Because you can't have both. You can't look at the cross and say, oh, thank God for salvation. And then you go look and you go, well, what did he save you from? And you go, all of this stuff. And then you go, you mean the stuff you don't actually believe you got saved from? Okay, that makes sense. (laughs) What you really mean is you know the right answer is Jesus, but you're worshiping a squirrel. Because you're not actually looking at Jesus as the one who fixed this stuff. So either we live in a fallen world or we don't. I would argue that most people are looking to Israel to bring to us and and the fulfillment of Israel. And I don't know, some versions where people look at Israel specifically that their job is to usher in the kingdom. And then others look at Israel like once Israel gets all of its promises, then Jesus is going to come back and then finally the kingdom will be here. And so to me, it is very much, it's very often about bringing heaven to earth and having the end of all the suffering and da, da, da. But Jesus said, guys, the kingdom of heaven is here. As a matter of fact, it's inside of you. The kingdom of God is at hand. Like the kingdom showed up with its king 2,000 years ago. The kingdom has been here for 2,000 years. By the way, forgiveness does not mean what most English people think. Most Americans, you know, when we hear that word, we think, okay, I messed up. Somebody forgave me, which means it's like they kind of forgot that I messed up. No, forgiveness is the restoration of relationship. So that the mess up actually was so horrendous that it destroyed the relationship. And so to be forgiven is to actually have that relationship again. And it's not even necessarily about removing the mess up. It's about uh, in the midst of where you're at. So he forgave you before you did anything, right? While you were still sinners, he forgave you. So you didn't actually have to ask for forgiveness to get it. He gave it to you before you asked for it, which is a whole nother discussion, but that's the good news. Okay, so if we really are in the kingdom already, if we are already forgiven, we're already restored to relationship. If heaven is inside of us, we're already seated in heavenly places and everything like that. And let me just ask you guys, if you're a Christian, do you actually believe that Jesus finished the work when he sat on the cross? Not sat on it, when he was hanging on the cross and he says, it is finished. What do you think he meant? Go read Psalm 22 where that he's quoting you know, this is a little bit of a side trail, but it's relevant that uh, if you've ever wondered why Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Go read Psalms 22 and you realize that he's actually, think about it back in the day. If I say the phrase, as the deer, and you grow up in church, you'll know that I just reference a chorus, as the deer panted for the water, so my soul longeth after you, right? Well, it was a song or it was a psalm. Well, Jesus saying the first line of Psalm 22 is essentially telling everyone who's listening, hey, recall Psalm 22 and everything it says, 
And if you go read it, you get chills because you realize, oh my gosh, Jesus just told everybody around him, hey guys, Psalm 22, yep, that's what's happening right now. Because it talks about, I mean, just go read it. I'm not even going to spoil it for you. Go read Psalm 22. Jesus is starting that psalm. And then at the end of it, that psalm finishes with, it is finished or he has done it. And so literally Jesus is starting this psalm, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he finishes it and says, it is finished. So if you want to know what Jesus meant, go read all of that. But on a bigger level, does Jesus need to come back again? Like, was it not good enough the first time? Did the kingdom not show up with its king? That's the real question. Did the kingdom not show up with its king? Does the king have to come back again? Is heaven still over there, you know, as Lynn Hiles says, you know, five miles south of Mars? Is it outside of us? Is it How finished is the work? How complete is this new covenant? And what are we still waiting on? A lot of people would say we're still waiting on Israel. Natural bloodline DNA Israel and the soil over in the Middle East, Jerusalem, and all of this. And I guess at this point, if understanding that Israel's a story hasn't been sufficient for you, if understanding that the kingdom is already here hasn't been sufficient for you, I'm not sure what else to say other than to kind of point you to how is it that you think the kingdom is ever going to show up? Because I would argue, if you're looking to Israel, then you're making the same mistakes the apostles made and the Jews in Jesus' day made, where they believed that the kingdom was one that would come, the, the kingdom was one that you would see. And Jesus says, this is not something that you're going to see. It's something inside of you. It's something bigger than this. And so you're thinking that Jesus is going to come and sit on a chair in a fancy building in the Middle East. And I don't know about you, but I much rather enjoy the fact that he lives inside of me. I don't got to go visit him. He's everywhere I go. Maybe that throne isn't in Jerusalem physically. Maybe it's in the new Jerusalem inside of me. Because if you go in the book of Revelation, to him who overcomes, I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. So you are the I am and you are the new Jerusalem. And so the throne of the new Jerusalem is in your heart. That's the throne he's sitting on already. What are you waiting for? For physical manifestation of this kingdom that is already here. So there is quite a few resources on the website. A handful of them by Jonathan Welton I really like. There's an article I wrote that kind of went with one of his videos I believe the name of the video is um, Truth About Israel's Promises. And it's a bit challenging. And if you think that I am a replacement theologist, you are right. I do believe that the church has replaced Israel as the story of God, as the storytellers of God. And uh, better yet, I actually believe that uh, the church is about to be replaced by the whole world. So uh, you can get mad at me about being a replacement theologist for Israel but get even madder at me for being a replacement theologist for the church. (laughs) And there is 
so much evidence in the Bible that Israel was a story. And for 2,000 years, they did an amazing job. And they were the people of God. And I guess if you're looking for that physical manifestation, I guess I would ask again, if you take care of the inside of the cup, the outside takes care of itself, that you would listen to the last episode, number 30, on living from heaven, living from the inside, and understanding that your entire world, if you followed the Holy Spirit, and you sat and you stopped measuring from anywhere other than what that Spirit tells you, that you would live in heaven, and that that kingdom would come out of you, right? And that the kingdom of heaven would be at hand, and the kingdom of God would be in your midst. And in the end, it really points down to when has anything that God has ever promised his people, when has anything ever come from works? It has always come from faith. Another way to say it is, when has anything ever come from doing it externally rather than believing it internally? So again, if you're waiting for Jesus to come split the Mount of Olives and sit in a chair, in a fancy chair, in a fancy building in the middle of the East, and you're waiting for Israel to take over, you know, the Middle East and all this peace and everything like that, I'm telling you, like, (laughs) you're looking for an external kingdom that Jesus very clearly said, guys, you're looking in the wrong direction. But if you believe that the kingdom is already here, and you believe that the king is already sitting on the throne, and if you understand that Israel is now you, and I totally didn't even get into Paul's statements about not all are Israel who are Israel's descendants. Uh, Jesus himself, in a discussion with the Pharisees, they have this comeback at him. They say, oh, well, we are um, seed of Abraham. And Jesus says, actually, you're the seed of the devil. So if you were the seeds of Abraham, you would know who I was. And so Jesus himself basically says, your bloodline means jack squat, right? If you were truly of the bloodline of Abraham, which is the bloodline of faith, you would know who I was. But instead, you're just a physical bloodline and you think that's the point. And that's, you're just seeds of the devil. So it's not even what Paul says about the physical bloodline. Jesus himself kind of goes after that as like, kind of not really relevant because it's the promise. It's the promise of faith and everything like that. So again, maybe that's a little bit of a rabbit trail for some of you Bible thumpers, but which I am one. But point being is if you're looking for a kingdom externally, there are so many things that kind of, I just don't understand. It is this particular teaching in the church today to me is the most obvious of all of the things that I disagree with. This one in preterism, I was talking with uh, my wife and uh, Chris's wife about which one's the worst. Like, is the rapture or is the Israel worship? Which one's the worst? Which one is the most uninformed belief in the church today? And I think it is the Israel one, personally, because it is so pervasive in the New Testament. As Jonathan Welton says in that video that I mentioned, he says, you know, uh, replacement theology being, you mean that theology that's like all throughout the Bible? (laughs) And so... They're both a close one and two as far as which one's worse, but the rapture and the Israel worship to me are the two things that I find in the church I just don't understand. 
Like, why would you want a sacrificial system to come back? Why would you want a building when you are the temple? Why would you want a physical building? But these are the same people that force you to go to church every Sunday, and that's where God is, and that's where... And look, I guess I understand when you are in the matrix. If you haven't red-pilled yourself enough, then you do think that God is in a building, and he's looking for a physical chair to sit on. And he's looking for a physical mountain to split. And apparently Jesus's sacrifice was like, had like maybe a time limit on it. Like, hey, for 2000 years, I'll forgive the world, but I'm going to have to come back and kill everyone again because they're sinners again. Like just, I don't get it at its core from a logic standpoint. I do get it from a fear and a religious standpoint. And hopefully if you've been on the fence, you know, if I've been a bit too uh, sarcastic, I apologize. I don't mean to be mean. It just, I love Jesus, guys. I love what he did for us. I love who he is. And I love Israel for what they really are. And unfortunately, all of those things have been completely swallowed up in this perspective of a red heifer that still needs to be killed so that the world can be saved. And that the kingdom didn't show up with its king and all of this stuff. But if you already believe that it did, I can guarantee you that you'll start seeing more and more of heaven in your life today. You'll start seeing that kingdom that you're waiting for has been here the whole time. So I hope this discussion on Israel and a fallen world and all of that stuff has been useful. I'm going to do a few more episodes on kind of other things in the world, including maybe a couple more new age concepts and stuff around finances and stuff. I, I don't mean for these podcasts to be so Christian focused, but I do believe that there's, you know, a lot of people listening to this that even if you're not a Christian yourself, you've probably grew up with a lot of this stuff. And so even having answers or having something to send to your friends uh, is useful. So this isn't meant to be just a Bible Thumper uh, podcast. It just happens to be the things that I believe Spirit is putting on my heart and just following that intuition for what is best at this point. But uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it's useful. Hope you can send it to your friends. Maybe you got some nuggets out of it. Maybe you got some laughs out of it. And uh, maybe you hate me. I don't know. I love you still. So <laughs> God bless you guys. As always, if you could consider donating, talk to the Holy Spirit. And uh, if he says yes, I suggest you do it. If he says no, thanks for asking. I'll talk to you guys later. Oh, and you know what? This episode and all of their episodes. If anything is true, there is a way in which it is true. And Israel is the chosen people of God. And there's a way in which they were and are. There you go, guys. God bless you. Talk to you later.